Hi, I'm Gary, and this is episode 167 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles, and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, we'll be looking at those fantastic ultra-rapid chargers and asking, do we really need 350 kilowatt charge speeds? And what is the real charge speed of my car? This season of the podcast is sponsored by ZapMap, the free-to-download app that helps EV drivers search, plan, and pay for their charging. Before we start, I wanted to let you know that we're chatting with Kate Tyrrell from ChargeSafe in an upcoming episode. Things have moved on really quickly since we spoke to her last year about ChargeSafe, so it should be an interesting discussion. She'll also be sharing the top five charge point operators as per the ChargeSafe ratings. Our main topic of discussion today is ultra-rapid charges. How many times have you heard someone say something along the lines of the following? I plugged my car into one of those Ionity slash MFG slash Instavolt slash fill-in-the-blanks high-powered chargers, expecting to get 300 kilowatts, and it only gave me 80 kilowatts. What's the use of having a high-powered charger if it won't give me the advertised speed? Now, I see that all the time on social media, and it points to a number of things that need discussing. Firstly, there's the education thing. A 350 kilowatt charger is not going to give your car 350 kilowatts of charge speed. I don't care what car you have, as of early 2023, no car currently available for sale to the public can accept the full 350 kilowatts of charging. Secondly, there's a question of what sort of chargers should we be putting in anyway? Osprey Charging produced a document last year explaining the situation perfectly. It's called is biggest best for EV charging. Here's Ian Johnston, CEO of Osprey Charging, to discuss the basic concept. Osprey's objective is to always provide as many charging bays as we can within every site, but at the correct charge rate for the dwell time of that location. Now, Osprey's belief is that the customer should be guaranteed the advertised charge rate if the vehicle will take it, and hence we don't believe in splitting the power of one charger across two charging bays. You have to ensure the minimum guaranteed power for each bay. Of course, then the ChemPower's load balancing technology can offer more power than the stated minimum through load balancing from other chargers that aren't using their full allocation at that moment in time. So let's take a, a theoretical site on a busy A road where we're able to secure, say, one megawatt of power. Now we believe that this site will be a busy pit stop user case. And hence, rather than installing, for example, three 350 kilowatt chargers, we look to install eight high power chargers with around 125 to 150 kilowatt uh, guaranteed charge rate per bay. Now these chargers, of course, can go up to 300 kilowatt depending on the vehicle and site conditions. But if this was a supermarket on a retail park with a dwell time of, say, 45 minutes, we'd then look to provide a greater number of chargers with a lower guaranteed charge rate per bay. Now, the customer would, of course, still return to their vehicle with the desired charge being completed because the car has been there for three times as long as they would do in a pit stop a road site. We constantly review the average charge rate of new EVs being released onto the road to determine where the minimum guaranteed charge rate needs to be to future-proof the site. Um, now, but ultimately, one's ability to design the perfect site configuration is always restricted by the same two key factors. That's firstly, the amount of power available to that site on the local grid network. And secondly, the amount of land that the charging network is able to secure from the landlord. 
If you look at Osprey's new Salmon's Leap hub on the A38 in Devon, this is an example where we've purchased a large parcel of land that allows the best of both worlds. So we have 16 fully accessible bays, but also with a high power charge rate for the short dwell time user case. Now, stay with me on this as the number scans start to feel a little confusing. What Osprey are effectively saying is that with any given power supply to a location, there are many different combinations of charger that can be added there. Often, the best solution for a site is the one that gives the most drivers the ability to charge at the same time, even if it's not at full speed. The specific example that's given in the document is as follows. If I've got 1.6 megavolt amps coming into the site from a high power grid, there's several ways you can split that out at the site level. You can install four charge points that max out at 350 kilowatts. You can install eight charge points that max out at 150 kilowatts. You can install 12 charge points that max out at 100 kilowatts. Or you can install 24 charge points that max out at 50 kilowatts. So which is best? Well, let's assume we go for the first option. You've got four units in there and at maximum power, they can charge four Porsche Taycans which are amongst the fastest charging EVs around at the moment, simultaneously at top speed. But because the battery needs to be protected, the maximum power will only be available for a short period of time. This equates to about 270 kilowatts for two minutes. As we know from earlier episodes, each car has a charge curve that dictates the maximum charge speed at any battery percentage under ideal conditions. For the Taycan, the charge will then drop from 270 kilowatts down to 200 kilowatts. So the 350 kilowatt charger is now only pushing out 200 kilowatts, leaving 150 kilowatts unused and more importantly, unusable. Multiply that by the four chargers that are active and you've got almost 600 kilowatts spare and unusable power being wasted. But if we were to reconfigure the chargers so that there were eight chargers at 150 kilowatts, the situation is different. What this means now is that we can charge eight Taycans at the chargers, but they'll all be charging slightly slower than the maximum charge speed they can expect. Instead of 200 kilowatts, they're at 150 kilowatts. But there's eight of them charging instead of four. Now, this might be a problem if everyone drove around in Porsche Taycans or top-of-the-range Tesla Model X and Model S, which can accept these ultra-high charge speeds. But we don't. Research has shown that the average charge speed of an EV is about 80 kilowatts. This means that you can put in eight units charging at 150 kilowatts, charge eight vehicles at once, get the maximum charge power out of the majority of them, and still satisfy everyone who's charging. So the question I ask you is, when you're coming to a public charging location in your Porsche Taycan, would you rather have a charger that gave you the maximum speed for two minutes, maybe, but with one of only four units, meaning you might have to wait or it might be broken? Or would you rather have eight units to choose from, knowing that you might have to spend a little longer there because even if the units charged at the maximum speed, you'll still be getting less than the average rate for your car? Now, I don't know about you, but I'm probably happy to get to a location with enough chargers to use, even if they aren't charging at the capacity of my car. Of course, I'm not a Porsche Taycan owner. If I had paid so much for a car that charges at that speed, I'd probably want to charge at that speed. But that's why Porsche have installed ultra-high rapid chargers at their dealerships now, isn't it? But as Osprey research shows, the number of cars on the UK roads at the moment that can charge anything above 150 kilowatts is quite low. 
the percentage of cars that can charge at higher than 200 kilowatts is 2.3%. That will increase over time as cars like the Ionic 5 and the EV6 with 800 volt charging architecture become more popular. But again, even then, they can only hit that top speed for a few minutes before dropping back to something a lot lower. So, as Ian said, it's all dependent on the user case and the dwell time at the site. If I'm looking for a volt and bolt minimum wait time and off as quick as I can, the configuration is always going to be different to somewhere where I'm looking to stay a little longer, such as when shopping or eating a meal. But let's go back and talk about charge speeds in general. I said at the start of the episode that there's always the complaint of, if I plug my car into one of those Ionity slash MFG slash Instavolt slash fill in the blank high power chargers, expecting to get 300 kilowatts and it only gives me 80 kilowatts, what's the use of having a high power charger if you won't give me that speed? Well, it's also not quite as straightforward as that. Former guest of the podcast, Dr. Ewan McTurk, has produced a video on his Plug Life channel, which ostensibly gives an explanation of what controls the rate at which a car charges. Contrary to popular belief, the charge speed is not controlled just by the charger, nor is it controlled just by the car. It's a combination of several items, some of which are a little esoteric. I'll go through one or two uh, just now, but for a more graphics-based version, click on the link in the show notes to see Dr. McTurk's video. Remember, the power that a car can receive is a combination of current coming from the charger itself and voltage available in the battery of the car. If you multiply these two together, you'll get power. You'll have heard of cars referred to as having 400 volt architecture or 800 volt architecture. That's one of the voltages that comes into the equation. But others include things such as the power of the charger itself. Every charger will have a little plaque on it somewhere that details maximum current for each connector attached to the charger. The maximum current cable for a CTS cable might be 250 amps, for example. So if your car has 400 volt architecture and you're using a charger with a 250 amp cables, the maximum you're going to get on that charger is 250 times 400, which equals 100,000. That's 100 kilowatts, regardless of the maximum speed the car can take. If you're attaching the same cable to a car with 800 volt architecture, you should get 200 kilowatt charging. But this will obviously be limited to whatever the maximum charge speed of the actual charger is. You won't get 200 kilowatts out of a 150 kilowatt charger, regardless of the voltage of your car. And this is key to remember when you're using, for example, the BYD and charge point units that Instavolt use and claim to provide 120 kilowatt charge speed. Both have cables that have a maximum current of 200 amps. This means that you'll never get more than about 80 kilowatts from them on a car with 400 volt architecture. Remember, these charge speeds are also only available under ideal conditions. If your battery's cold or in a high state of charge, you'll have a lower voltage than the 400 volts and the charge, volt, the charge speed will be lower than that. There are other factors that play into charge speed and a lot of them come from the car itself. I've mentioned before on this show that what happens when batteries get cold, long story short, the liquid electrolyte in them freezes, thereby reducing the energy transfer between the anode and the cathode, resulting in low power. This also affects charging speed. So if your car's been outside in the cold all night and you drive it a few miles to a nearby rapid charger, it'll still be cold. It'll still charge slowly, regardless of what the manual tells you it's capable of charging at. 
That's why some vehicles have preconditioning. Tesla, for example, use the in-car navigation to trigger a preheat function when you navigate to a supercharger to charge. This heats the battery up to an optimal temperature to allow charging at the fastest speed possible right from the start. While heating a battery isn't good and can degrade the battery, this only applies if the battery is hot for a prolonged time. If the heat is dissipated quickly, the damage is insignificant. That's why Tesla batteries charge fast at a high temperature, but the Nissan Leaf batteries are limited to much slower charge speeds when they're warm, the old Rapigate situation. Nissan has no battery cooling, Tesla does. There's also the charge curve to consider when it comes to EVs. Now we've mentioned charge curves several times on the show. It's a graph which shows the maximum expected charge speed under ideal conditions for a car at any given state of battery charge. As a rule, when a battery is at a low state of charge, i.e. close to empty, the battery will accept the highest charge speed. What happens after that varies depending on the battery management system. Generally, it does one of two things. Either it hits the peak charging speed, and as the battery gets fuller and fuller, the charge speed will drop until at around 80%, it drops off to some really slow speed to protect the final few percent of the battery or it stays at a specific charge speed until it hits a tipping point where the charge drops and levels out again. This continues until it hits another tipping point where it drops once more. This continues to around 80% when it drops off dramatically. So for example, the Mercedes-Benz EQC will charge fairly consistently at around 150 kilowatts from zero to about 40% state of charge. After that, it will start a gradual decline in charge speed as it approaches 100%. But the MG ZSEV, on the other hand, will start at around 95 kilowatts at a low state of charge, stay there until it hits 25%, then it drops. It stays there until it hits about 45%, where it drops again down to about 75 kilowatts, where it stays until it hits 60% state of charge, where it drops again, and again at 73% and 83%. Fastnet has a site which captures a lot of charge curves for a lot of cars, and it's worth having a look at their site to see if your car's on there. I'd like to restate that these charge curves are the best case scenarios under ideal conditions. In other words, you need to be on a charger that will provide the maximum charge speed. Your battery needs to be at the ideal temperature. The state of charge needs to be low enough, and the charger needs to be providing the full speed at which it's capable of charging. So if you're not getting the charge speed you're expecting, how do you know what's slowing things down? Well, the short answer is you don't. Most chargers will not give any indication why they aren't charging at the expected speed. In some cases, you can guess due to conditions. For example, if it's really cold outside and you've not driven a long distance or with enough speed to warm the battery, it's fairly sure that the limiting factor is your car. If you're on one of the grid-served medium power chargers, i.e. the ones installed to replace the Ecotristi DBT models at motorway service areas, the limiting factor will be the charger, which won't be able to reach anything above 60 kilowatts due to constraints imposed contractually at the sites. If you're on a charger which has all the power available, but you're dual charging with another car off the same unit, as can happen with some grid serve units, for example, the power provided to the connector will be shared, so you won't get your maximum speed. But if you're on a chem power unit, you can actually see what the issue is. 
If the power that's coming from the charger to the car is less than you would expect at any given point, the display will give an indication of what the issue is. It will indicate whether the power is limited by the charger unit or limited by the vehicle. At least then you can tell if, for example, there are other cars charging at higher speed on the Kempower units and these are taking power away from your charge. Damn those take-ans, right? Or whether it's something to do with your battery. So next time you turn up at a 350 kilowatt charger in your Volkswagen E up at 60% state of charge, expecting a nice quick 350 kilowatt charge to top off, don't be surprised when the BMS limits it to 27 kilowatts charging, dropping down to 15 kilowatts by the time you hit 80%. That's just the way it works. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. On the subject of fast chargers, the GridServe Braintree Electric Forecourt has recently installed the fastest charger in the UK. Capable of delivering a maximum output of up to 360 kilowatts, it can add approximately 100 miles in less than five minutes. What's more important is that this is positioned separately to the other chargers at the forecourt, and it allows a couple of things the other chargers don't or can't. It can be used for charging lorries and larger trucks, which might otherwise block access across two bays in the normal setup. And it also allows vehicles that are towing to access charging. The installation of the charger is a trial of the cutting edge technology for GridServe, which if successful, could become a regular occurrence. The EV Musings podcast is sponsored by ZapMap, the go-to app for EV drivers in the UK which helps EV drivers search, plan, and pay for their charging. ZapMap is free to download and use with subscription plans for enhanced features such as using ZapMap in car, on CarPlay, or Android Auto. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at MusingsEV. If you want to support the podcast and newsletter, please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. The link is in the show notes. Don't want to sign up for something on a monthly basis? If you enjoyed this episode, why not buy me a coffee? Go to coffee.com slash evmusings and you can do just that. ko-fi.com slash evmusings. Takes Apple Pay too. I have a couple of ebooks out there if you want something to read on your Kindle. So, you've gone electric! is available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. So, You've Gone Renewable is also available on Amazon for the same 99p, and it covers installing solar panels, a storage battery, and a heat pump. Why not check them out? Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. If you've reached this part of the podcast and are still listening, thank you. Why not let me know you got to this point by tweeting me at Musing TV with the words, it's volts times amps. Hashtag if you know you know, nothing else. Thanks as always to my co-founder Simon. You know he's pretty keen to make sure that he can ride his electric unicycle anywhere he wants and whatever weather there is. So he's looking at making sure there are suitable locations to do this. But he has a dilemma. He can either get a site that allows high straight line speed regardless of terrain, or he can find somewhere that's very technically demanding, but a lot slower. 
Now, but ultimately, one's ability to design the perfect site configuration is always restricted by the same two key factors. Thanks for listening. Bye.